The Confluence Story Gathering Podcast is a production of Confluence, a community-supported nonprofit that connects people to the history, living cultures, and ecology of the Columbia River System. Find us at confluenceproject.org. But what is the truth is maybe 15, 16, 17 years old, it it was painfully obvious to me that we weren't making people like our elders uh, and that the people that should be naturally learning and knowing these stories and our history and whatever, just something was going on that that wasn't Hello and welcome to the Confluence Story Gathering Podcast, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River. I'm Colin Fogarty, Executive Director of Confluence. In this episode, we're reaching into the Confluence Library to hear an interview with Tony Johnson, the chairman of the Chinook Indian Nation. He describes how his tribe has been working for decades to win federal recognition and what it means to him to be Chinook. My name is Tony Johnson. That's my tax name. Nostio is my name I like to go by, or I feel strongly about Nostio. And I'm uh, the chairman of the Chinook Indian Nation. Probably more importantly than that to me is I'm the longtime chairman of the culture committee for my Chinook community. And 20, maybe closer to 30 years probably in as a culture committee member and so really just a person born and raised in our territory here uh, born in South Bend Washington same place as my dad (laughs) I often say I was a weird kid I mean I don't know how to describe or why that I've ended up falling into or doing the things that I do. But what is the truth is maybe 15, 16, 17 years old, it it was painfully obvious to me that we weren't making people like our elders uh, and that the people that should be naturally learning and knowing these stories and our history and whatever, just something was going on that that wasn't happening. And I don't know why that was obvious to me, but it did bug me. And so I ended up going to college, but being back and forth all the time, including taking quarters off, whatever it was, um, to just work with our elders. And so I sat in grandma's living rooms. I've, you know, sat in the nursing home, whatever it is with our elders and just felt compelled to learn what they had to, to teach. I think when I first started doing that, I didn't even know what I was looking for. I just felt like I needed to sit and listen and learn. And fortunately, you know, some of these folks were just really saw my interest and so 
you know, there's a man, one of my teachers was named Satuana. <laughs> Satuana. When you asked me my name, uh, reminded me of an interview that I've heard of him. He was being interviewed by somebody and they say, what's your name? He goes, Satuano. I go, what's your name? Satuano. Yeah, but what's your name? And he just really ticked him off. I mean, he was really genuinely mad because that's his name and that's the name he's incredibly proud of. He received that name at the point in Bay Center at Goose Point as a little boy. And uh, him and a man named Adi Charlie, they both got their names at that time. Adi was a little older than him. He got the name Sliwahwan, Sliwahwan, and Satuano. But this man, Satuano, his name's Tony, and was my grandpa's best friend. But uh, he spoke five languages, and I would go to see him in the nursing home or come to Chinook meetings, whatever. But I'd always go out of my way to learn and what have you from him. And he was raised with a mother that never spoke English to him. And that's really unusual for the time frame. So he learned these languages and was just really incredibly fluent in our language and culture, languages and culture. But he figured out what I was doing and ended up kind of treating me the same way, just, you know, wawa chinook kabanaga, speak, talk chinook to me, whatever. He actually spoke the Tlaltamish uh, language and the chinook, and chinook to me and quite a bit. I didn't really learn Tlaltamish the way that I wished I had, but my name, Nostio, is from that language. That language, by the way, Tlaltamish uh, is Lower Chehalis. Of interest is that, you know, people ask what makes a Chinook Indian or, you know, you can, people always, I always hear, by the way, people say, oh, that you're so lucky you have a culture. And then we just like to shake our heads and say, wait a minute, I mean, we're born and raised in your culture, meaning, I mean, the school that we go to, the store we go to, the, I mean, people just don't see it. The average American doesn't see that they have a culture, right? And but it's kind of really obvious to to people that are from here and have their own, you know, sensibility, a way of looking at things because it becomes real clear what when things contradict each other or aren't really compatible. But, um, you know, my answer to people about what makes a uh, Chinook Indian or whatever is really these rules and taboos and... Uh, obligations that we have to each other and a lot of that comes from uh, our myths from our stories and that's you know really what determines who we are so these are taboos and teachings that come from these philosophies about how you know we interact with the land each other the Canoes, but it also comes directly from our economy. The economy are our stories, the universities, maybe, of our uh, people. Economy is a Chinook word. It means myth, I guess. They translate it as myth. But really, I think it's, I don't like that word myth, really, because I think myth implies that maybe it's not real. 
and uh, we can prove they're real because of the things on the ground or you know that's one of my favorite things is when these stories when you see that science really backs it up you're listening to the confluence story gathering podcast The five tribes of the Chinook Indian Nation signed a treaty with the federal government in 1851 at Tansy Point near the mouth of the Columbia River. But Congress never approved the agreement, and so the descendants of those Chinook people have been working ever since to have the same legal status as other tribes. After decades of work, the Chinook actually obtained federal recognition in 2001, but it was short-lived. The celebration turned to heartbreak, when the U.S. government rescinded that recognition just 18 months later. The Chinook Indian Nation has been essentially non-existent in the eyes of the government, but Tony Johnson and his fellow tribal members haven't stopped fighting. We signed treaties in 1851 that were not ratified in the normal way, so they actually just kind of languished in the Senate. There's some arguments about a constructive ratification that we believe in and that we're continuing to try to clarify. But regardless, they didn't ratify those treaties in 1850. We actually hired our first lawyers in the 1890s to try to fight this issue of, wait a minute, we were never compensated for this land and you took it all and we were just relegated to swamps and out-of-the-way places, whatever. But we've, you know, continued that fight for a a very long time. And uh, still, it hasn't resolved itself. Ultimately, it has to resolve itself. I mean, Chinook deserves the right to exist in our own territory, to have a land base, to have our government acknowledged. Just really uh, interesting and incredibly frustrating situation we find ourselves in. So we have a story about how, uh, why Grizzly can't run downhill, right? But this is real, you know, I mean, Grizzly Bear, the only way you could ever outrun a Grizzly Bear is going down a hill. I mean, you can never run uphill away from a bear. You can't run on the ground from it. But when it's going downhill, it's the only time you might have an advantage. And, you know, it's in a myth. It tells us that. We were talking the other day about people going out all the time trying to check or having to check when the slickamooks are ready. Slickamooks is a native blackberry, like our little trailing blackberry, but uh, we don't have to go looking to find out when it's ready because we were taught another plant that when that plant, it lives right around where people do all the time. And uh, when it's at a certain stage of whatever, when it's reached a certain point, then we know the blackberries are ready, so then we just can go get them. But it's this teaching or these stories that have come down to us and that we benefit from and for what it's worth that have a right to survive. It's one of my great frustrations is situation that Chinook finds itself in with a lack of clear status and no established treaty rights and what have you, where we can't 
do like all of our neighbors and have a cultural resource program or site protection program. I mean, what we do is just volunteer. We just do what we can do to to bare bones survive. And sometimes that's good. And at other times it just really falls short. But the bottom line is all this information, this language, the stories, these things have a right to live here. And it's really difficult to do without having clear status and a land base that we can govern and, you know, a, a significant amount of employees to help us, you know, facilitate this stuff. We're not alone in that scenario. So all across the country, there are communities that do not have clear recognition or acknowledgement by the federal government. Maybe the community they live in acknowledges them, their state, whatever. Maybe they had past relations with the federal government. Maybe they didn't. But regardless, the government knows that. And they created a process and an office of federal acknowledgement in 1978 that was supposed to allow tribes like ours to petition and rectify this situation. So we actually were one of the very first communities to jump into that process. We had a petition going or inquiries going in 1978. We went 23 years to the year 2001 where much of those later years, we had an active petition going with the government. They were reviewing that petition. In January of 2001, we received the call that after all of that, 23 years of work, they acknowledged our community. They basically apologized up and down, said they've made a huge mistake. We understand now, based on the evidence, whatever, that you know, the Chinook Indian Nation, Chinook Tribe is, in fact, a community that should be acknowledged by the federal government as an Indian community. And uh, so, you know, it was a huge celebration. We were absolutely, you know, felt vindicated. All this work had paid off. And then, 18 months later, actually while my dad was the chairman of the Chinook community, he was in Washington, D.C. for a kickoff dinner for the Lewis and Clark Bicentennial meeting with George W. Bush. He actually had a luncheon in the White House with all the other Lewis and Clark tribes and uh, left the White House, had given gifts from our community, historic canoes, all kinds of things of importance from our community members, canoe models that is but to the, directly to the president, sitting there as an equal and recognized tribe. And that same day, my dad, walking down the street in Washington, D.C., received a telephone call saying they were rescinding the recognition of the Chinook tribe. So that was 18 months later, and they actually took away our status. And we just pretty much all fell apart here. Because for one, it's self-evident to us, to anybody from this area that we're here and who we are. But, you know, it's, it's an incredible fight. Since then, we've had multiple bills 
brought forth to Congress and the Congress is dysfunctional and can't seem to get that straightened out. And so it's just one thing after another. You know, when I got elected, I said, we're done with the 20-year plans because this is how it's went for us. You know, we hire lawyers in 1899. It's 1912 that we get a settlement where they're actually, by the way, paying us the dollar figure we negotiated in 1851. It's part of this argument for constructive ratification, right? Even if both parties don't sign a contract, if you live up to or act as though the contract's in place, then according to U.S. law, it's a real, you know, it's a real thing. It exists whether or not there's an official ratification or signatures. And this is the position of our community. They took our land. They paid us for it. The, you know, the money we negotiated in 1851, whatever it is. And by the way, when Kevin Gover recognized us in 2001, at the end of that 23-year process, one of his arguments was, in fact, as we believe that we have a constructively ratified treaty. So this is something that we're working to clarify right now. It just looks like it's going to have to go to the courts and uh, hopefully get get a sympathetic judge to, to see you know, that Chinook needs relief. You're listening to the Confluence Story Gathering Podcast. And we're hearing an interview with Tony Johnson, chairman of the Chinook Indian Nation. Our work is very frustrating. On the other hand, there are things that have come back or been revitalized or gained strength in our communities that are fantastic. So, you know, we are canoe people. We inherited the sensibilities and traditions around that. Our people continue to be on the water every day, many of them today. But, you know, we've been able to participate in and revitalize our canoe culture in a way that is really exciting because while we were raised with that information, it was not real in the same way it is for our kids. So my kids have never known a time when we didn't have canoes in the community and weren't using them naturally and traveling each and every year to our neighbors or great distances, whoever it is that's hosting an event over the summer, you know, we pick up by canoe and travel. Our neighboring community of Shoalwater Bay Indian Reservation, if the canoes don't naturally go across in the year for tribal journeys or some other event, we make a point of putting the canoes in the water and traveling back and forth, keeping that highway open, right? This traditional road that we had on the water between our two villages, Nonschots and Nomlayaks. That is something that our kids have never not known. And that really feels good to, to know that.
in my world, I was raised with this stuff being my inheritance. And that's the way it was talked about. The ability to fish a certain spot. We'll say, you know, your drift, your inherited place to fish, or whatever it is. Uh, access points, rights to tell stories, uh, rights to sing songs, to do dances. I mean, these are inheritance. And we weren't raised with a lot of real wealth, but that was considered our wealth, these things. And, uh, you know, they just, that's the very most important stuff in my world. I mean, these, there, there are very few things of ours that have not been taken away from us or corrupted or abused or just extinguished, whatever it is. There are certain things, though, that really do still feel like they're just ours. And there's a great value in that. And I think the communities feel really strongly about that. And I want my kids to have every last bit of that inheritance. That's their wealth. I'm not going to ever make them rich, but they'll be rich in that. And it is real wealth. I mean, it actually has real value. value. And, you know, 10,000 years ago or a thousand years ago, whatever it is, we spent a lot of time worrying about our connections to our neighbors and kind of expanding this wealth or connection to resources or, or to songs to spiritual knowledge to whatever it is and um you know that's still something that we're at home talking about every day there was singing and dancing around when i was young but not like it is today it was the head of a family or the couple elders in a family that might sing a song, maybe the grandma danced, whatever it was, but it wasn't like it was for them as kids. And it's, it was nothing like it is for us now where, you know, we can start a song and have dozens of people head to the floor to dance these dances again. Or I can look up from starting a song and there's dozens of people around me singing that song. And I mean, it's just, you know, regardless of what anybody else is saying is ours or isn't or acknowledgement or not, you know, we're living this and not accepting any other answer. So to have that for our families and for my kids and is something that, you know, we're, we're, we're proud to have put in the effort for that, but also just it it really will do more to make people like these elders that we all know. You know, you've interviewed some of the people that are this way, but they are, you know, our oldest people in our communities were unlike anybody in America. I mean, that's just... 
I don't know how else to describe it, but you know, in America, people do not imagine that you can't that that human beings could go a lifetime without lying or without you know working to abuse each other or whatever. It's just you know you step on somebody to get ahead in America. You lie without even thinking about it in America. But the stories that our ancestors inherited and passed on tell that human beings can't do that. I mean, it's just against the laws of human beings to have a secret. Secrets are not even possible in our traditional teaching. It's not humanly possible. Coyote made it that way. So if you know that, and you just live by that, you're very much a different kind of human being than, you know, what you see around us a lot today. In just a couple of weeks, we'll be having a traditional storytelling gathering that's, you know, this is something we do every March for Chinook. It's not for anybody else. It's not a show. It's not out for anything other than it's our own communities, our own community members only together to just make sure that these stories are repeated and that these kids are naturally hearing those stories again with the hope that they understand because in those stories when, you know, skunk holds a potlatch all the rules of how the people come to that potlatch or what happens there are our genuine teachings about our responsibility and the way that you come into a house and what you do in a potlatch, right? Whatever it is, this is taught in those stories and we need more and more people to know those more like those old time elders that we've known in our lives that we just had this profound respect for you know again and maybe these kids will be a little less like all the other stuff that we see around you know you asked my wife today about you know how they handle, that is how my kids or our kids handle um, all this cultural teaching, cultural living, whatever it is and I think her answer was they don't even know better and that's the truth Thanks for listening to the Confluence Story Gathering Podcast If you want to learn more about the Chinook Indian Nation and its fight for federal recognition, go to ChinookNation.org. There you can sign a petition, write a letter, or donate to the cause. That's ChinookNation.org. 
To find out more about Confluence, our five completed sites along the Columbia River system, and our educational programs, check out our website, confluenceproject.org. Remember, Confluence is a community-supported nonprofit. We can only do this work because of the generous support from the Friends of Confluence. That's you. Join us today.